quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Start as early as you can. Stop climbing the corporate ladder. Make a plan to step off the corporate ladder. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I want today's guest, Becca Hint. Becca is joining us from Nosara, Costa Rica, She is the founder of Hint Investments, which focuses on multifamily syndications. Becca is a GP on a 100-unit hotel to multifamily conversion. She has a duplex in San Fran and a 12-unit in Kansas City. Becca is also an LP on 450 units. Becca, thank you so much for joining us, and how are you today? I'm great, Ash. Thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. Before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? You bet. Well, my husband and I were medical device reps in the San Francisco Bay Area. And simultaneously, I've been in the multifamily business for about 18 years. Most recently, during COVID, back August this past year, we decided to leave it all behind. We're the leave it all behind family and packed up our things and were part of the great resignation. And we gave our employers the adios and moved to Nosara, Costa Rica, one of the blue zones in the world. There's about six blue zones in the world. Are you familiar with blue zones? I was going to write that down so I can ask you, but please tell me more. Ah, yes. Well, these are places in the world where there's the largest concentration of centenarians, people that live to 100 years and beyond in very good health. And it's a result of their healthy lifestyle and the pure food they eat, not much processed food, the healthy lifestyle they live. Nosara, Costa Rica, where I am, is one of them. Okinawa, Japan is another one. Sardinia, Sicily is another one. Incredible. So you've got a plan. You're going to be there for a long time. I hope so. I hope so. We're looking better and feeling better every day here. All right. Let's start with the easy questions. Multifamily for 18 years. What was your involvement? And you were doing this while you're a medical device rep? Yeah. In fact, that was actually my epiphany into multifamily. Medical device rep, it's a great job, good income, benefits, company car, cell phone. I lived in, the, in San Francisco and I had a territory in Hawaii. Everything seems to be going fine until you stop working. So not only was it not a passive job, it was in fact a hyperactive job. The very moment I stopped working the income stops. During that time, I house hacked a duplex in San Francisco. The only one to bid on it was myself and a contractor. And I was single at the time and didn't even own a hammer. So I thought this is not going to end well, but (laughs) it did. And that was my first venture into the prospect of passive income. And I realized then, wow, I'm playing this game wrong. I'm on the wrong side of the table here. I'm on the W-2 earned income side, and I need to be on the passive income side. So did you passively invest in multifamily? I did. Got it. Okay. And your husband was a medical device rep as well? Yep. He is. We met in the med device world. He still is. He's healthcare tech in the Bay Area until we left it all behind. He's risen 
far higher than we started together. I stayed home for a little while with our two kids, our Irish twins, 18 months apart, and did multifamily. Meanwhile, what I like about this business is you could step out for a little while when life gets a little too crazy, like with young kids at home, and then step right back in. And does your husband have the real estate bug as well? He does not. Okay. He, he does not. It's only me. Okay. So your 100-unit hotel to multifamily conversion, did that start after you moved to Costa Rica? No. Oh, those are such fun deals. I love these hotel conversions. Let's dive this, in. Oh, yeah. These are fun, fun, fun. Deep value add deals. But this started at the very beginning of the pandemic because, as you know, during the pandemic, it was the hotel apocalypse. All these small hotels, like your quality in, your days in, a lot of these mom and pop hotels were really struggling. And they were hemorrhaging even before this. Airbnb has given them a run for their money. So the pandemic just collapsed a lot of them. And we found a great hotel in Sierra Vista, Arizona, a hundred unit quality in motel that we're taking down to 65 multifamily units, a deep value add project. Tell me again where that was. You said it. It's Sierra Vista, Arizona. It's a tertiary market in Arizona. And 100 units down to 60? 65. So we started out, we thought, yay, we'll just make 100 studios here. But you get a reality check and your property manager says, no, you can't. This market can't absorb 100 studios. So you have to combine a few of them. We have 31 one bedrooms, 31 studios, and three two bedrooms that were suites. What did you pick up this property for? We picked this up for a song. We got this at about a 70% discount. So 30 cents on the dollar, we paid for it. It was about one seven out the door, but these are deep value adds. So we're putting about one seven in. Just a coincidence on those two pricings that our purchase price is the same as our rehab costs. And um, what do you value the finished doors at? We're going to be in the five eight to six one marker. Okay. I want to play devil's advocate. I thought hotel conversions to multifamily were only profitable in big cities. Like they're doing this in Nashville. I didn't think tertiary markets would support that. Oh, there's all kinds of uses. Tertiary markets support it because there's a lack of affordable inventory from the 700 to $1,000 rent range. In that market in particular, there's a hospital with a lot of traveling nurses. There's a military base where some of the soldiers look for off-site housing, and there's a lack of housing there. But there's other plans for hotel conversions, like there's a company called New, I think it is, in Austin, and they take these hotels and keep them as studios and market them to millennials and have kind of a, a digital nomad place down below for them. San Francisco also uses hotels and converting them into homeless shelters. Florida looks at a lot of hotel conversions and tries to make assisted living homes out of them. So there's tremendous amount of uses for them. There's a lot of landmines though, just to know that. What are some of the big ones? Big, big ones. First of all, it has to start with zoning. So it's game over unless you can get the zoning right because you don't want to be in the hotel business. So unless you like to be in the hotel business, we don't, we're multifamily people. So first we had to start with the zoning, convert that zoning from a a hotel zoning commercial to a multifamily. And that's what many people get hung up on right there because it can be expensive. In our case, we were very lucky in this tertiary market, multifamily and commercial hotels are the same zoning. 
So it was just an over-the-counter change of use permit. But we have another friend in Phoenix, Arizona, that it cost him half a million dollars for that rezoning because the city said, okay, we'll let you do that, but you need to put in a new road and a couple fire hydrants along the way. Then you can have your rezoning. <laughs> Tit for tat, huh? <laughs> right, right. How long will that conversion take for 65 it, units? We were looking at about the 18-month mark, and we're probably going to be at around the 20. 2022. So it's been tricky in the pandemic for these deep value ads, as you know, with just getting all the people on site in timely fashions. We actually did great with our supplies and the timeliness of supplies, but it became the labor slowing us down a little bit, but we're mostly on track. Becca, are there companies or architects that are used to doing these or do you have to essentially start from scratch? There's architects that certainly do this. In our case, we got really lucky there is a comparable property five minutes away from ours. And the property management company that we're using has a construction arm and it actually did the lift on our comparable property and is doing it on ours also. We use the same architect. We just cut and paste what they did. Is that part of your decision-making on why you purchased this? Or did you find those afterwards? We knew ahead of time. Ah, yeah. So that was part of the decision process that made it easier to purchase this. Very easy, right? We have an, an exact example five minutes away that was just coming to market also. So we get to see how the exit works as well. Man, the universe loves you. Oh, it, we got <laughs> lucky. We got lucky. But these can be really tricky. You know, you spend a lot of money on electrical, a lot of money on fire systems. What a lot of people don't know is many hotels often just don't have kitchens. So they don't have fire sprinklers and all of the things that you would expect and need when you put in a kitchen. So we had to put in a new fire hydrant and run fire sprinklers all through the hotel at $200,000 price tag. Becca, are there cement floors or is this wooden stick built? This is some good concrete, good old fashioned Arizona. And how do you deal with that? (laughs) That's tricky. Plumbing, electric, I guess you can run wherever, but your drain lines have to run low. So you're busting up a lot of cement. Yeah, you are. It's been no way around it. No. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. It's been interesting. And that's why it's really important on these deep value add deals to get them on such a a good price because you have a lot of still meat on the bone for these unexpected things and some things unexpected like that. Another thing is the windows. When you look at hotels, the second story of hotels, the windows don't open. You're right. Because of suicide risk. So you actually need egress. So now you have to put in windows that do open. So counterintuitively reframing smaller windows so they can open. Wow. Can you sell the original windows? (laughs) That's what I said. (laughs) And the answer is no, I'm assuming. (laughs) No, we have a whole supply closet downstairs of what are we going to do with this? There's also all these doors. What are we going to do with all these doors? We close up one door and we need to put in another door. And it's like the merry-go-round of doors. Yeah. Did you essentially gut the entire property? Because 165 is not half. It's not a third. Was it just all gutted and rebuilt? Yeah. You're knocking out walls in between. Yeah. Yeah. If it was 50, I see just knocking out half the walls. No, the architects love these deals too. I have a friend that's an architect and she just loves this stuff. She's like, oh, I get to redraw all the rooms. Let's rearrange all the doors. (laughs) And it's not their money. Yeah. Really fun deals. And I have a a number of friends actually doing these now. It's a little late in the game, I think, for these hotel conversions. A lot of them are taken 
the opportunity they said was about to 2024. So we're, we're nearing close to that. But, um, and that's my next question. One, I was going to ask, did you raise capital for this project? Yeah. Okay. How do you pitch this to investors and what's their anticipated return? Oh, it was a tough deal to pitch. Let me tell you, especially for people just starting out, a lot of it's friends and family investors. So you're coming up to your cousin and saying, oh yeah, I have this multifamily building. Well, people understand that. Most people have lived in apartments, but when you say I have a hotel and I'm converting it to multifamily, kind of lose it. And you're not going to get paid for two years because we're doing a conversion. And matter of fact, you might run into some problems. (laughs) That's right. And that's right. When you really have to match the right investor with this too, which is what my business is. My model is a co-GP model. And it's kind of a matchmaking for investors, depending on their goals. Are they looking for a, a core asset with a good cash play? Or are they looking for a light value add or a deep value add deal like a hotel? And it all depends on what their goals are. It's nice to have a few of these. I'm a big advocate of having several kind of value plays in your portfolio, like my San Francisco building. This is great for young people too, to sort of house hack when you're in that phase in life that you want to live in these expensive cities, San Francisco, Chicago, and they just don't cash flow. But if you could get yourself a quad or a triplex and then just set it and forget it. These are like the Rip Van Winkle investments. You fall asleep for 10 years and you make a million bucks. It's great. Have one Historically, of those. yes, but yes. there's a lot of operators out there that'll tell you it's way different. Yeah. The timing, yeah. bad tenants, a lot of things can sway that. But Becca, I want to ask you back to these investors, do you get additional tax write-offs? The hotel was probably fully furnished when you bought it. It was fully furnished. And that's another thing. We have 100 couches, 100 beds, and we're doing a big cost segregation play on this. So accelerated depreciation. Good. So all of that is negative K-1s. It's all depreciation for your investors. Was that part of the conversation? That was part of the conversation. Yeah. Good. That we're disposing of these old assets, retiring them out, doing a cost seg study on the whole building itself. So it was a very good scenario for those needing tax shelter, which we all do. And is that investors. the majority of your investors? Yeah. 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 And for the best ever listeners, great advice here that you have to have those conversations. And do this disclaimer, no legal advice given, talk to your tax attorney, but teach people how negative K-1s can benefit them. It doesn't help everybody, but a lot of high net worth, real estate professionals certainly, but it's a huge benefit that I don't feel a lot of people talk enough about. So good for you. You kind of tailored your investors around that. Yeah, it's very interesting on the cost seg aspect because not a lot of people know it. The government, as you know, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here, but the government puts forth a compensation program that if you follow the compensation program and do this right, there's things that they don't do well and can't address like farming, gas and oil drilling and multifamily and multifamily is the asset we choose. And if you follow that path, there's tremendous tax advantages the government will give to you for dealing with a situation providing housing that they would do very poorly on their own. Yeah. Great advice. Now, what was the return to your investors? Our typical deals, we look for about an 8% cash on cash return. 
that deal was, I think we were about a nine and a half percent. A little while I got a fresh in my memory on that one. And did um, they make any money while the renovations were going on? We did. Actually, I remember we did an 8% pref. So it's from a, day one? From day one. Yeah. Yeah. So you're essentially taking extra investment dollars to pay back the investors because you don't have any revenue coming in for two years. Yeah. We'll get back to the show. But first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's four-week Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $1 billion twice in the past 20 years, and he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass Live allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever to enroll today. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at passiveinvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. Passiveinvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Could you have said, hey, investors got this great project, but you're not going to get paid for two years. Would that be just an insurmountable sell? (laughs) Well, we got it funded, my friend. (laughs) No, no, no. But you were paying the 8% pref right off the bat. But what if you had said, hey, investors, you're not getting a prep for two years. Do you think that you could have pulled that off? I don't think so. Okay. Unless you had someone in such a situation where, you know, in medical device, where we have a lot of doctors and fellow med reps that just need a tax deduction, the cash flow is not an issue. So it would have worked. Yeah. For them, it would have worked for them for a certain type of investor. So what you've built here is very scalable. Find the military bases, hospitals, the tertiary hotels that are not doing well. Are you going to scale this? Are you going to do more? I think you should. (laughs) Thank you for the advice. I've had so many people approach me and say, when's the next hotel? I'm really focused on multifamily, but I actually love hotels. So I continue to look at deals that come across my plate. They're deep, deep value adds though. And you have to be certain with a little bit more certain in the times and get them at such a good price. We got this on 30 cents on the dollar. The deals I'm seeing now are more like 50 cents on the dollar. So there's a lot more people in this space. But if a good one came my way, you bet I would. They're a lot of fun. I'm still a multifamily girl at the end of the day. though. Yeah. Thank you for telling your story. And I'm sure you've inspired a lot of people. But now you keep going back to multifamily. What are you doing now with multifamily? Is it just all passive? 
It is both. It's passive and active. So my business model is a co-GP model. So myself and my team, we partner with experienced operators that are boots on the ground in that market. And I love this model because I get to choose the best operators, the best deals from the best operators in emerging markets that fit my criteria. From there, once we find that, we vet the deal, the underwriting, the value add, the feasibility of the business plan, try to poke as many holes in it as we can. And then we bring our and our investor money and go into the deal. And I think this is so essential, this kind of vetting service. And it's funny how sometimes your businesses stem off your things that didn't work out for you. My very first passive investment was actually a complete disaster. Uh Let's dive into that. It's been seven years. I still don't have my money back. And had I met somebody like me to say, wait, 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 here, these are the things we look at. And these are the things you want to drill down into more and come with me and I'm investing my money and you can ride along with me. It would have been a whole different deal. But yes, do you want to dive into the war stories? Well, right now, my best ever listeners are thinking, wait a minute, seven years, the market's been on the tear. How did somebody screw this up? So how do they screw up? Well, first of all, the partnership, the partnership, they didn't get along from the very beginning. And that should have been my first sign. Then that was a bad beginning to what just ended up to be a train wreck of a deal. So I put in 50,000, fortunately, not all that much, but still a little painful as IRA money. And what happened is they didn't realize that there was going to be a large public works, a whole sewage line project in front of the building. And that went on for months and months. And this was in Texas. Everything's big in Texas. So it was like a three-lane road in front of the property. And you had to practically flip your car to the right to enter into the building during this project. And the timeline went over. It went over budget. It went over timeline. When we went to go do our lease up from our value add, even the people that were living there wanted to leave. That was one. They didn't estimate what it would take to do a clubhouse renovation with the ADA and the additional cost for that. Then the operators had to put in $200,000 of their own, and then we had a slip and fall, and they were underinsured. So here it is, seven years later, the property's been sold two years ago. They returned 40000 of my fifty, but they're holding the other ten because we're going to have to pay out this slip and fall. So even though it's a $10,000 loss, it's a big loss in opportunity cost and just a time value of money. But you know what? It's a big gain in the learning curve. Yeah, I get it. But wait a minute. How big was that slip and fall case? I know. Pretty darn big. Well, everybody's insured for at least a million or I would imagine a lot more on this property. Yeah. It's a a million dollar plus. Multi-million. Wow. A lot that of sucks. false accusations and exaggeration of injury, injuries. But, yeah, that, um, oh, that's terrible. But it's valuable, though. These experiences, they're valuable because you know, my business has stemmed from this to say, look, I know what to look for. There's things that are beyond your control for sure, but there's things that they could have done a lot differently. And when you take on investor capital today to put into other people's deals, do you share that story with all of them? Yeah, I I kind of scare people though sometimes, but I think people really learn from the tough lessons. Yeah. You've got battle scars where a lot of people have only had positive experiences over the last 12 years because of the market, right? Right. So yeah, having some of these scars and lived through some of these cycles 
I think is very important. So in your role in Costa Rica, are you going to actively do any more projects in real estate? You hit my second favorite subject, international living. I continue to do my business here in Costa Rica. So I have a team on the ground in Texas. So I can do this remote. And this is the beauty of this multifamily business, which I just absolutely love. We go out to yoga and surfing almost every day. Albeit we're like the geriatric surfers out there, my husband and I, but it's okay. You're saying, hey, it's great. You're getting out there. <laughs> and then we come back and do our work or my work. He sits around and doesn't seem to do much these days. Maybe that's how you live long. One question I do want to ask though, Becca, is when you bring capital, do you bring all the capital to the table for a deal or do you bring some of it? We bring some of it. Okay. We bring some of it. And what is the typical co-GP share that you get? So these operators, do they bring some capital to the table themselves and then have experts like you raise the rest of the capital or do they just outsource this completely? No way. We won't go in with anybody who doesn't have skin in the game. Okay. So they need to have their money and their investors' money in it, both. Got it. As Great. we bring our money and our investors' money, everybody needs to have skin in the game and a vested interest in making this work. I love that because it'd be too easy to take deals down and say, hey, Becca, I need $5 million by next Friday, and they have no risk. Yeah, no risk. I've turned down five deals this week in Texas that are under contract with operators needing money. And it just didn't pass our vetting process for many reasons. And a couple of them, the operators didn't have skin in the game, which that's a no-go for us. Yeah. Again, good for you. I've had people that raise capital for other people's deals, wanting to blindly put money into my deals. And they don't know me very well. They don't know my track record. They didn't ask hardly any questions at all. Mm -hmm. And it baffles me because they turn around and tell their investors that they vet the deals. And again, that's great because the market's been on our side. We've not had much to worry about. Mm -hmm. But when that changes, I wonder how many of these capital raisers are going to have to have some difficult conversations because they didn't ask the right questions and properly vet the operators. That's right. Oh, there'll be a reckoning for sure. And even in the underwriting, everybody says it's conservative underwriting until you really fact check the underwriting. And a $200 rent bump for putting in a dog park is not a conservative underwriting, a realistic value add, in my opinion. So all boats rise in a rising tide. What will happen when the market adjusts? You really got to brace yourself for that. Have you seen people underwrite with lower rents? I have seen people underwrite at the highest marker of rents with square footage that doesn't add up. Yeah. What I tell a lot of people today is I see a ton of performers from people that I mentor and they're always like, okay, so I'm buying it at an 80% occupancy. If I can get it to 95, here's how much money I can make. And I'm like, okay, so where's the risk model where if your occupancy drops to 70 or 65, can you absorb that? And the people have blinders on. They want to see the upside. They want to see everything through rose-colored glasses. And again, we're a product of the last 12 years. But everybody needs to start doing some risk modeling, interest rates, occupancy, so important right now. Do you see deals that are underwritten with risk modeling as well? I like to see sensitivity analysis on okay. these deals. 
they're not coming my way with that, but we are doing it. So Good. Th- that's what we run. Good for um, you. But you're absolutely right. I've been in this business, gosh, what, 18 years now. So I've seen the adjustment and a lot of these people haven't been around to see this adjustment. Yep. And back then it was only gurus. Dave Lindahl at RE Mentor was in it. And now you have all the, all the big gurus and all their students going out there with loosey-goosey underwriting. It's, it's something to really watch out for. And I like to have three sets of eyes on underwriting. I do the first pass, and then we have three members on the team, including a CPA and a financial analysis. I mean, really dig down. And as a result, we're throwing the most of the deals out. Good for you. I love hearing this because we've created such a bubble with syndication and with capital raisers as well. It's a slow growth model for sure. What is the typical co-GP share that you get for bringing capital to the table? The co-GP carve-outs are usually about 30 to 35% for those that bring capital. So it, d- depending on the amount of the raise and depending on the duties that you plan to put in, it, okay. it varies tremendously. And what are the typical duties that you perform once the deal is closed? I'm on the investor relations side. So we do all the communication with the investors, the newsletters, the PowerPoint presentations showing where we are in the process, the update showing where we are in a renovation and something like a hotel conversion. That's a lot, by the way, changes by the day. A lot of tough news. A lot of tough news. Yeah. It's good though. You got to share that. Yeah, you do. And it's fun. It's fun because you see the project taking shape. So that's mostly my side on the investor side. My team is a lot of underwriters. So they do a lot of the financial modeling things and bring it back to the GP and show them what we see that they didn't see. Becca, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say start as early as you can. Stop climbing the corporate ladder. Make a plan to step off the corporate ladder. Yeah, I agree with you. Becca, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? I think so. Let's do it. Becca, what's the... I'll myself. I'll go easy on you. I'll ask the same questions I ask everybody else. But Becca, what is the best ever book you recently read? Oh, recently, Who Not How is my favorite. As a classic, of course, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but Who Not How is my latest favorite. Game changer. What was one big thing you offloaded or changed from that book? Exactly as you said it, I offloaded all the things that I don't like to do and I'm not very good at. And yeah. I've hired a VA for a lot of graphic design stuff, ebooks, logos, email signatures, websites. Good for you. Becca, what's the best ever way you like to give back? Oh, that has changed over the years and it's been so fun. Most recently, now, I teach girls to surf, local girls here in Nosara, Costa Rica that never surfed, if you can believe that. Many of them barely even know how to swim, despite living in a beach town. And in Latin America, especially, sports are very underrepresented for women. Good for you. And Becca, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Oh, you can reach me at my website. I actually have a great little ebook for your listeners. It's called Six Steps to Put Your Income on Autopilot and Move Overseas. And it's really fun. It's just a quick read. It goes through some of the things to look at if you should want to do something like this and into a bit of passive investing and how I was able to come here on this journey through multifamily real estate. You'll find that at hintinvestments.com. That's investments with an S. 
hintinvestments.com. Becca, I got to thank you for taking time out of your not busy day in Costa Rica, <laughs> sharing your story with us from being a medical device rep, your first house hack, and the pandemic making you part of the great resignation, sharing all the details of that hotel conversion, and now sharing details of being a capital raiser. What a great conversation, and thank you again for your time. It's been a pleasure, and now I'm sorry I need to go because I'm off to my surf lessons. Awesome. Best ever (laughs) listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share the podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.